Are you ready to overcome the complexities and burdens that come with your success? Join the team at Centura Wealth Advisory in the Live Life Liberated podcast. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Live Life Liberated with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. Today, Derek Myron has a special guest back. Dan Yates is back in studio, almost, in his own studio in a way, since we're all still social distancing and, and I guess we're all probably pretty far apart anyway. Gentlemen, good morning. I'm so excited that you guys are back and going to teach me a ton. Good morning. Good morning, Eric, and good morning, Dan. Derek, you brought Dan Yates back on the show. I know that he's been here a couple times because he has a ton of great information from his viewpoint, and I know that's what you're going to be really honing in on today. So I'm going to let you go to it. Dan, thank you so much for coming back. Hey, it's a pleasure to be back today. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. And Dan, yes, thank you. We know that life is extremely busy over there at Endeavor Bank. Dan is the CEO of Endeavor Bank. And we've had him on a couple of previous times to talk about the PPP program. So, Dan, welcome. Thank you, Derek. It's nice to be here again. So just as a reminder, the first round of PPP was uh, the SBA opened on April 3rd. And that $349 billion ran out in 13 days. We got the second round of PPP funding, and I read some some sources is three hundred ten billion, some it's three hundred twenty billion. Either way, it started this last Monday, and Dan's busy away delivering on those loans. So, Dan, why don't you bring us up to speed as to where we're at and what's going on with the PPP program at your bank? Thank you. Uh, well, I made two predictions before this round started, and one was proven wrong, and the other is uh, sort of a different prediction than I anticipated. Uh, I thought the money would either be gone within hours or on the the opposite, we would have a systems crash and it would go on for days. In fact, the first one was wrong, but the second was a little bit of a twist. This wasn't necessarily a system crash, but the SBA decided to continually from day one create breaks on how many applications can be processed. And what they're doing is interesting and not very transparent. For example, yesterday, for several hours, they only allowed banks of a certain size, primarily community banks by definition, to process for many hours. The largest banks were prohibited from submitting applications. On day one, they limited what you would refer to as a batch transmission, kind of a robo-type pushing of thousands of applications through the portal. They started off limiting that to 15,000 a day, and then they later reduced it to 500. And so throughout this process, um, banks will get notices from the SBA that your bank for the next hour, next day, whatever the case is, will no longer be able to uh, input applications. So what that's doing on a national scale is limiting to about 30 billion a day as to how many applications can be processed. As you may recall, the last time we spoke, if the SBA had opened up their technology and allowed all the applications that were in the the, uh, lineup at every bank in the nation to go through at the same time, I predicted we would have all the funds um, exhausted by noon the first day. So obviously I was wrong, but the the reason is because it's being manipulated on the SBA side to not allow that to occur. Why do you think that might be? Well, I can tell you that the Trade Association American Banker 
has asked for transparency and for explanations, they're in a tough spot. They represent the nation's largest banks down to the smallest. So to give you uh, another example of what's happening, the largest bank in the country with about $20 trillion in assets sent out a notice yesterday that I saw that they have 220,000 applications. If you use an average of 300,000, which has been the case since the beginning, that works out to about $30 billion, and they are limited significantly by new rules that came out as to how many they can actually uh, uh, process. So just by definition, it appears that some of the largest banks are not going to be able to get all their applications processed. It's, it's a simple uh, mandate that the SBA has put on the largest banks. So I read an article that the federal government believes that there is $236 billion a month of payroll for firms that have 500 employees or less. And so if you did two and a half times that number, it would be $550 billion or so. Would presume, if there was no fraud, that you would be able to cover all of these businesses with the money allocated. But it doesn't appear that that number estimate is accurate because it appears that many people may still be left out in the cold by the time this money runs out. What is your assessment? I would tend to agree. I mean, just this morning, the unemployment numbers are starting to come out and it looks like they've almost doubled since a week ago. So when they talk about the employment roles, is that before we had this crisis or current days, it's not clear. But uh, I can tell you that my email and my phone calls for applicants who cannot get their uh, their loans processed continues to be a hot topic. And it just doesn't seem there's any less of a, of a panic among the business community than there was for in the first round. If anything, I think there's more of a panic because people have missed out on the first round and they're very concerned they're going to miss out on the second round. Today, do you believe that you will be able to process all of the loans that you guys have at Endeavor Bank? Or is there a risk that some of the loans that the uh, loan applications that you have just will not receive funds? So we processed every single one of our applications on the first day. We opened up our window to take more applications the second and, and yesterday again. I've received phone calls from other banks telling me that they've set internal limits where they just don't want more than a certain percentage of their assets allocated to PPP. And they've asked if I would help out with some select clients that they need to take care of, but they just can't because they've, in, they've internally set limits. So the smaller banks, are, I think, are approaching a point where they just don't want to have more than a percentage of their assets um, on their balance sheet in PPP. And then you have new rules coming out, as has been the case all along, almost daily. Most recently, there's a new rule to audit any loan over $2 million. So they're going to come back and force the applicants to prove that at the time they took the funds, they had no other alternative to keep their business afloat than to take a PPP loan. And they've given a safe harbor till I think it's May 7th, that if you took the money and you now realize you had other sources, you must return it without being prosecuted. So there's a lot of things like that that are impacting who, who are getting these loans and, and who is not. So I think there's more of a bias now to make sure that some of the headline news uh, that we all read about with Ruth, Chris, and others that we 
tap the brakes on um, on some of these very large entities getting the sizable loans that you're hearing about. So it was your estimation on the first round of PPP that it probably served one third of the small businesses and the second round potentially could serve the second third. Do you notice anything different about the loan recipients between the first round and the second round? It's dramatic. Um, In this round, we are seeing very emotional responses to receiving the good news that they've received what I call the golden ticket or the SBA guarantee number. I've contacted uh, borrowers as late as two in the morning. Usually that's about the time we, uh, we cut it off and head home for a couple hours of sleep. People are awake. They're watching. They're eager to respond if you run into a question as you're processing their application. And the, the tears come through the emails. They come through the phone calls. It's, uh, it's a very emotional time. And they'll let you know that their families um, maybe survived um, because of the loan. And, and I think what they're referring to there is that their business will survive and therefore their source of income. So it's a very emotional and kind of a, a refreshing response that kind of gives you that energy to when you're into the 18th, 19th hour of your day and you're wondering if you have, have it in you to do another application, all it takes is a response like that and it just keeps you going. That is such wonderful news. It's great work. As we mentioned last time, the banking industry in 0809 was the the goat of the crisis and the banking association very well may be the champion of, of this crisis. So thank you for all the work that you're doing there, Dan. Absolutely. So what would you say there are often I'm we're sending out these podcasts and business owners are contacting our office and saying, I've submitted at one of these large banks or at a large bank and a community bank. And we just have gotten nothing but automated emails coming to us. What advice would you give to people that feel like they may be stalled in the process and don't know what to do? Well, I think anywhere in the country, you'll find a community bank that is able to take on those applications. They, they did 60%, um, and I say they, the community banks, did 60% in round one. Uh, as of yesterday, it was slightly above that number. So certainly that would be an option. You also could apply at one of the online portals. I've you know, heard good things from uh, some of the larger ones that are like Cabbage and uh, I think PayPal have had some success. Um, those are a little less personal, but if they're getting through, that's what counts. Uh, but I think the challenge for the largest banks is they're they're in a no-win situation. Even even if they had the desire, and I believe they do, to have an unlimited amount of PPP loans on their balance sheet, they've been mandated both from the technology and secondly from the percentage of the total pool that they're allowed to process. They cannot process all of them uh, if they're the largest banks just by that mandate and the uh, technology on the other side. So it's unfortunately um, harming them in ways that, you know, if you're a CEO of one of those banks, you would uh, you would cringe at, which means they have clients that have been there 20, 30 years who are disgusted, irritated, disappointed, and are leaving uh, not just the bank uh, to find a new PPP loan, but they're taking their business in tow. So it's been a, a giant um, transition of of clients from the largest banks to the community banks nationwide. And, you know, to be very candid, that's not the way we want to win business. I want to do it the right way, not by default, but it is happening and it will continue to happen until we get through this second wave of PPP applications. Is Endeavor 
banks still accepting PPP applications? Yes. I, I hesitate because every time I send the word out, a flood of several hundred comes in and it buries me. But, but the answer is yes, we are. If the second round runs out, what, what is the chances that you're hearing that there will be a third round of PPP funding? I don't feel there's a high likelihood that will occur. Uh, I think it's more likely that the bias now is to get the country uh, open and back to business and probably look at some other um, stimulus uh, packages to help those who have not received funds. There's uh, the, the Main Street Lending Program that has received a fair amount of press, but there's still guidance that needs to come out to uh, support that program. I think it may be a better fit for some of the companies that missed out on PPP. And I think you'll be talking about that in some of your future uh, shows. Okay. So I know that Congress doesn't reconvene until May 4th. And I thought perhaps one of the reasons for the SBA to slow down how much they were lending out on a daily basis is to give them time to think about what they might do next. But your assessment is you think that there will potentially be haves and have nots. Two thirds of the country likely will be funded and one third of the folks that meet these qualifications may not. Yeah. And I think there's, there's concern on the part of the Congress that there were abuses of who has applied and received the funds. They're trying to address that now with some of these audits they're announcing. They've also put out more clarity on maximum loan size and trying to really make sure that the funds are going to the companies that are most deserving and in need of the funds. And like any program of this magnitude, there will be abuses, there will be prosecutions, but it doesn't play well on on Main Street if the headline news is that companies are getting, you know, many billions and the small retail shop uh, who's struggling to survive can't get a, an answer to his loan. So Congress won't keep throwing money at this until that that narrative changes. And I think it has to change and is changing on this second round. I see that yesterday, April 29th, the PPP program, the Treasury put out 39 FAQs. And the question that caused most concern for myself in reading through this was question number 31. It says, do businesses owned by large companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support businesses' ongoing operations qualify for the PPP loan. And it goes on to give a long answer. And question 37 says, do businesses owned by private companies with adequate sources of liquidity to support businesses' ongoing operations qualify for a PPP loan? When you read the answer under question 31, it provides some real gray areas about who meets the definition and who doesn't. What advice are you giving your business owners regarding these questions that have come out now way after the fact? Yeah, I think some of the companies that come to mind, you can read about in the Wall Street Journal. The, the one that made the headlines last week was about $30 million, I believe, was the largest PPP loan made to a conglomerate that was in the uh, hospitality hotel trades. And at the top level, there was a private equity firm with several millions of dollars. And that's probably what triggered this type of an FAQ because that made such a, a splash in the national media. Well, you can usually tell with a private company if they have additional sources of liquidity, untapped credit lines, or maybe a, a shareholder that has deep pockets. And I think they're trying to really get to those issues where, where it gets gray 
is if you're owned by a private equity firm, private equity firm may have the ability to inject more capital. It may not be prudent for them to do so for, for a number of reasons. So those are the areas that I think are less clear to me as to how that should be viewed. Another release that came out uh, yesterday was how long you have to fund the loan before something negative happens. And the negative is you lose the guarantee after day 20. So in other words, if if a borrower were to get documents presented to them by the 10th day, which is how long the banks have to fund, and they choose to delay signing those loan documents because they want to delay their covered period launch date for all kinds of good reasons, if they wait until the 20th day after the guarantee was first issued by the SBA, the golden ticket was issued, if it goes to day 21, that loan is canceled. Well, that clarified for many applicants that are in our bank uh, whether or not they could wait until maybe May or June when they're able to reopen and take full advantage of the loan because the covered period would start the day we disperse, not the day the documents were drawn. The Treasury is trying to put more and more of a fine point to some of the questions that have been out there since round one. And at least now we can point to these FAQs and say, well, here's the answer. It's in black and white. So yeah, these gray areas that you refer to are becoming a little less gray with each passing FAQ. That's very helpful. We have several business owners that we advise and timing of the PPP loan to make sure that they're going to qualify for max forgiveness is so very helpful to them. I think another FAQ that was very helpful to uh, to all of us, at least on the banking side, and, and sure for the borrowers, last Friday, they published for every type of legal entity, the maximum loan that you qualify for and what documents are required. And you say, well, hasn't that been out there since day one? It has, but there were professionals in the legal community, CPA community, and elsewhere who could read a particular provision in the CARES Act in the guidance and come to a very different conclusion. So what they did with this last FAQ, they made it clear that if you were to have applied before this FAQ came out and you were in a gray area, there was somewhat of a safe harbor. But from that day forward, these are the new black and white rules that apply And when I look at those black and white rules, I know there were borrowers who received slightly more money than they might have if this FAQ had come out on day one. So the Treasury is figuring out that when you have issues from borrowers asking questions and it becomes a, a roar nationwide, it's important that we get rid of the gray and we put some clarity so everyone understands what the intent of the CARES Act was and how to apply it to most situations, if not all situations. Thank you, Dan. I'd like to highlight one line of the answer in question 31 and have you speak to it. It says, the current economic uncertainty makes this loan request necessary to support ongoing operations of the applicant, in quotations. And that's the part that caused me trouble to sit back and say, well, wait a minute, what does that mean to me and what does that mean to these businesses that we're advising? Yeah, I mean, you can take it in a lot of different directions. For example, it could be your supply chain. Do you need to borrow the money in order to buy supply that is uh, difficult to obtain, which is happening to a lot of uh, distribution companies? Do you know when you're going to open? 
And will you be able to stay closed for another week, another month, or longer if you don't take a PPP loan? So it's the uncertainties on your supply chain, on your opening dates, what will happen to your clients if you're selling to businesses that are currently closed, and maybe they're putting off placing orders or delaying placing orders. All those things affect your balance sheet, your income statement in different ways. And I think it is not a difficult bar to demonstrate within, a, I think, a scope of reasonableness that you were entitled to take the funds. Where it becomes extreme is if you had personal liquidity, you're, you're a private company, you have personal liquidity of you know several millions of dollars and you're borrowing the money. Someone might say, well, why didn't you just inject more capital into your business? I think that's where when they get audited, they're going to have to look at some subjective areas, but the black and white obvious cases will, will pop to the top. It, there will always be, as you go down that line, areas where reasonable people will say, we have a different view on this. And I think if it gets egregious, you have a, you have a problem. If it's in that gray area, I don't think there's going to be a, you know, a huge legal issue for these companies, but time will, time will tell. So we're recommending to our clients to put together a cash flow forecast for 2020 to take a look to make sure what was the reasons why you think you needed this PPP loan. I've also seen in the legal community that the legal community is starting to offer courses, continuing legal education on attorneys potentially to sue PPP applicants. So the combination of seeing these FAQs and then seeing what's happening in the legal community causes me to say, look, we better both belt and suspenders here to make certain that uh, we're, we're covering all our bases. I think that's smart. I mean, any, anything you can do to document not just your own opinion, but from your third party advisors, maybe it's your CPA, could be your, your legal counsel, but trusted advisors who can support your view that they've looked at the same information and made a third party evaluation that you did indeed have reason to apply for the fund. So yeah, documentation will be key if you're audited and you're in one of these gray areas. So we only have a few minutes left. I was hoping we could turn our attention to loan forgiveness. At our firm, we have a, a loan forgiveness calculator that we're pretty proud of and we're sending out to folks. And we've been told it's very, very helpful. So we've advised people to get to a, a baseline for your business on how you're going to get this loan forgiven. But can you just describe what the loan forgiveness process will be at Endeavor Bank? Well, it's really unclear to the banks right now. We, we have a general understanding of the parameters that's disclosed, but they have yet to provide the banks with the actual forms and the procedures that we're going to be held accountable for. They promised to have that forthcoming. But the questions that I'm getting now, and I don't know if you've broken this out in your calculator, uh, that I've seen different views coming out of the legal community are things like cash basis versus accrual. Is it based on the date you make the payments uh, after the covered period begins or the date that the uh, liability was accrued on your balance sheet? So that can affect your rent. It can affect uh, your when you do your payroll. Those are the types of issues that we really need to understand if we are going to be in the position of uh, maybe not auditing per se, but uh, looking at the documentation that we're required to provide to the Treasury and what documents we need to match it up against. So I think once again, the Treasury is a little late 
in getting the guidance out because we already have companies from round one that are well into their covered period. And if later guidance comes out that could have created a different strategic decision on when you bring employees back or when you pay your rent, it could really make a difference as to what happens to these forgiveness decisions that are going to be made in the very near, near future. So, for example, I've had calls from clients asking me if they should delay paying their rent for a couple of days so make sh- to make sure it falls in the covered period. Well, that would, a- that would make a difference if it's on a cash or an accrual basis. They're trying to figure out if they should pay their payroll on day 29 or day 30th, depending on when their covered period ends. So we can use these calculators to make, I think, very good decisions, but there will be some very fine points that I think the Treasury is going to have to help us with. Very well said. Um, Our experience to date is we've sent this calculator out to numerous CPA firms that have come back and helped us improve it. And so we continue to get guidance from the Treasury and from other professionals as questions arise. These calculators continue to evolve because it's so hard to capture all of the data. Well, what else should we leave our audience with today, Dan? I think at this point, if you are still anxious about getting your loan, definitely reach out to one of the community banks in your community. I think in addition to really start focusing on getting these calculators, being prepared strategically to make good decisions, understanding that you should really be thinking about segregating accounts so that you can have good documentation um, and really support uh, that forgiveness piece when it comes up. Uh, we're starting to see uh, more and more clients advancing funds now to to spend on covered expenses. And those who have segregated it, who are using the calculators like you've created, who are preparing the documents, are going to be in much better shape when they apply for forgiveness than those who haven't uh, given a lot of thought to it and were more focused on getting the funds and not on how they're going to use the funds. So definitely this is that time to transition and be very thoughtful about that. And Dan, if they want to put in an application with Endeavor Bank, is it best to go through your website at EndeavorBank.com? Yeah, we have a website set up for CaresAct.com, which sends it right into our portal. Okay. Eric, thank you much. Dan, thank you much for attending again today and providing us all this valuable information. I appreciate it, and I'd love to see your calculator if you have a chance. Absolutely. We'll send it over right after this. Derek, I'm going to kind of piggyback off of something you said earlier. Dan, you are absolutely showing the people in your community and everyone listening to this podcast how much you care and how much the banks care about these small businesses. And I think that that's a mindset that we've really needed to change for a while. A lot of businesses, a lot of individuals have thought, well, the banks are just big corporations. They don't really care. And I know. We can hear it in your voice. We know that you're putting in an incredible amount of hours to get these things done for these small businesses, for these families that have started businesses that really is their legacy to their children and to their grandchildren. At least that's their desire and their dream, and and you're helping to fulfill that. So, Dan, again, thank you so much for doing that, working so hard and putting in the time, and, of course, joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that, and it's been good to be with you again. Yeah, absolutely. And, Derek, I'm not leaving you out because – I know you're putting in a tremendous amount of hours working with all your advisors. So thank you and thank you again for organizing this podcast and getting great information into the communities that need it. Thank you both, gentlemen. Have a great day. You too.
You bet. And lastly, I want to thank you, the listener, for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast with the team from Centura Wealth Advisory. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when they come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends, family, and colleagues. And this would be a great one to share, very timely, if you know any small business owners that have concerns, they're answering the questions right now, right? They're answering the questions on these podcasts. So share them because Dan's been on a few times now and each week we've been publishing one and it's timely and it's good for them to hear. So again, please share this with them. Thank you again for listening today. For everyone at Certuro Wealth Advisory, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Live Life Liberated podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Centura Wealth Advisory. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Centura Wealth Advisory, Centura, is an SEC-registered investment advisor with its principal place of business in San Diego, California. Centura and its representatives are in compliance with the current registration and notice filing requirements imposed on SEC-registered investment advisors, in which Centura maintains clients. Centura may only transact business in those states in which it is notice filed or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from notice filing requirements. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Tax relief varies based on client circumstances and all clients do not achieve the same results.